Hail Satan! Hail Satan! Awesome. We're never going to stop doing that one. We're never going to stop it. Never stop. That's right. Are we ready? Are we recording? We're recording now. All right. Hail Satan! Into awesome. the light! All right. If you, you guys... Okay, so we are recording this directly after our uh, giveaway winner announcement. So as you might remember from that, uh, Jake has had a lot of alcohol. I've already had four and a half Crown and Cokes. So but it only counts as two. It. it only counts as one and a half because of the, the size of the receptacle that I'm drinking from. This is drunk math, and it works. It's working for It only him. works if I don't drive anywhere. Look, thank God I'm in my house. Yeah, I mean, he's being safe, so it's fine. We don't care. But... This is fucking cool. So we're here. We are recording. We are joined in the in the studio today by uh, my good good buddy and roommate Cade. He said he just wants to sit there silently, so you won't even be able to tell. Silent partner. Yes, we love him. He's giving us funny little looks. He's, he's blowing kisses. Uh, he's a good boy. Anyway, so we're here. We are recording now. We are ready to go. Into the light, I command thee. Dylan, how you been doing this week? Huh? Uh, I've been doing. I've just been working. I got to spend Thanksgiving at home in my room. I woke up at 3 p.m. Uh, and then I just watched movies all day and I went to bed and then I worked Black Friday. But staying in my room was excellent. It was so much fun. It was my best Thanksgiving yet, I think. I spent a lot of time with friends and family. It was nice. All COVID clear. Thank God I haven't had any, you know, COVID symptoms. No one else did. So we were all clear. I'm glad that you're healthy. That's what I'm glad at. Thank you. Me too. All right. Anyway, enough about that. Enough about that. Who's who's going to talk first? I'm obviously going to talk first because I'm only getting drunker by the minute. I figured. There you go. Fuck it up, son. Okay, so this is one of... Listen, if I don't plug Texas UFOs and UFO Jane and Glurp the Alien enough, God, I'm we plugging love them. them right now because they're some of my best friends on this fucking planet. And I love those guys. And they have talked about extensively about this particular abduction, alien abduction. I am going to be talking about Betty and Barney Hill. Ooh, I'm excited. Yes, 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 yes. And we love a good UFO story. That's right. Barney and Betty Hill were an American couple who claimed that they were abducted by extraterrestrials in the port in the rural portion of the state of New Hampshire. Perfect. On September 19th and 20th in 1951, it was the first widely publicized report of an alien abduction in the United States. Here's the most interesting part about Betty and Barney Hill. Barney was black, Betty was white. In a time when, in 1951, that was big fucking news. Yeah, that's, I'm sure, probably going to play into the story in some way. I mean, if it hadn't been, like, that they were in the whitest state in the fucking Union, New Hampshire. Jesus. It probably would not have gone over, this would not have gone over well in Georgia. Or Louisiana, Arkansas. That's a fair point. It's a fair point. Not even Texas. Fucking racists. (laughs) You all all need to go to hell. You leave people alone. Love is love. All right, so this incident came to be called the Hill Abduction or the Zeta Reticuli Incident. This is where we get that term Zeta Reticuli. Fuck yeah. <clears throat> because the couple stated that they were kidnapped by aliens who claimed to be from Zeta Reticuli, which is a planet way the fuck out there. Many, 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 many light years or astronomical units away. Cool. We measure a light year by the amount of time, the amount of distance that, a, uh, that the speed of light can travel in one year. The story was adapted into a best-selling 1966 book titled The Interrupted Journey and a 1975 television movie titled The UFO Incident. In September 2016, plans were announced to make a film based on the events with an unknown release date. Obviously, this has gone the way of production hell because such a movie has not been created. However, American Horror Story Asylum had a subplot that involved Evan Jennings being married to a black woman and they were abducted. Oh, that's right, yeah. That's right. It's been yeah. a while since I've seen Asylum, but yeah. That was that's... like one of the last seasons that I actually watched. That was season entire. two, bro. <laughs> was it season two? <laughs> My God, you Christ. jumped that ship early. <laughs> I can't stick with mo- oh, I can't stick with shows like that. I haven't even watched the last couple of episodes of The Boys. I'm literally oh, stopped good. watching current movies, current TV shows, and I'm re-watching The West Wing like some kind of fucking cult leader. Jesus Christ. Why am I watching The West Wing over again? I have watched that series like four times through, all the way through, but I oh love it. God. I love Aaron Sorkin. I love the I love the 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 writing in the in the show. It's just great. It's perfect. It helps me write. You have been staying on top of the Mandalorian though. Oh, <laughs> my life is all about the Mandalorian. Let's talk about the Mandalorian Let's a little bit. Let's not talk about the Mandalorian. Okay, we won't talk about the Mandalorian. The man with no name turns into the man with no face. It's great. 
if there's only one thing I would change about the Mandalorian is that he is wearing a very conspicuous set of Beskar armor throughout the entire thing that totally identifies him as a Mandalorian with really expensive Beskar armor. Every other episode, someone's trying to kill him for his Beskar armor. You would think that he would take his cape and it push just, it over a little bit and turn it into a fucking poncho like Clint Eastwood, which is he's he's totally based on Clint Eastwood, the man with no name. Just wear your cape like a poncho, you son of a bitch. <laughs> my god is it that difficult yeah you would think god almighty it's so stupid that's the only part of the that's the only part of the show that missed me i'm like just wear your cape like a poncho and get it over with you were obviously based on clint eastwood in the sergio leone spaghetti westerns it's so obvious just wear your cape like a poncho for christ's sake it's the only part of the only part of the series that i don't like Welcome to Too Scared to Sleep, welcome. a podcast about Hi. Jake's thoughts on The Mandalorian. Hi, and welcome to this episode of Too Scared to Sleep. I realize we all, we actually did not say hello and welcome. That's so what we just did. There we go. Halfway through a topic. Not halfway through a topic, but whatever. Listen. Okay. Most of Betty Hill's notes, the tapes, and the other items have been placed in a permanent collection at the University of New Hampshire, which is her alma mater. In July 2011, the New Hampshire Division of Historical Resources marked the site of the alleged craft's first approach with a historical marker. This is how notor. This is how notorious. How much notor. This is how much notoriety this this particular site and this abduction has. That's actually pretty impressive. That's fucking cool. What's not impressive is how much editing you're going to have to do to get some coherent thoughts out. Well, I didn't know. think I had as much crown in my house as I did. I was unaware of this fact as well. I know. I almost asked you to buy me another bottle of Crown, then we'd really be in trouble. Oh my god. Because tomorrow's a work day, and I have to be. <laughs> yeah, I would not have given you that other bottle. <laughs> All right, so listen. The Hills lived in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Uh, Barney was a postal worker. Betty was a social worker. They were active in their local church, Unitarian Universi- Universalists. They were also the mem- members of the NAACP, the National African American Coalition something. I'm sorry. Uh, Coalition for Progress? Maybe so. I believe so. I don't just know. I don't remember that. exactly. They were community leaders. They were great. They sound like good people. They were good nice. people. Let me tell you something. Salt of the fucking earth right here. Barney sat on a local board for the United States Commission on Civil Rights. These people were in- involved. Fuck yeah, dude. They were involved. This is This plays well into the end of the story. They were an interracial couple at a time when it was particularly uncommon in the United States. Mm-hmm. Like I mentioned, Barney was black, Betty was white, but they were just fucking, they were living that standard. Good you know for what? them. This is how it works, man. This is the United States. Red, white, and blue. God bless America. Raise a glass to freedom. Do I need to start singing? No. Okay. But I will raise a glass to freedom. Clink, 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 clink. glass. According to a variety of reports given by the Hills, the alleged UFO sighting happened on September 19th. 1961, about 10.30 o'clock at night. The Hills were driving back to Portsmouth from a vacation in Niagara Falls in Montreal. Niagara Falls is on the United States-Canadian border, in case you didn't know. Yes. Uncircumcised Philistine who doesn't know things. What? (laughs) In case you're an ignoramus and you don't know that that Niagara Falls is between the United States-Canadian border, that's where they were. So just south of Lancaster, New Hampshire, Betty claims to have observed a bright point of light in the sky that moved from below the moon upward to the west of the moon. It was traveling across the sky. Let's just assume it was traveling across the sky. This is the part of the story right there where it's like, come on, girl. You didn't. You did not ascertain all of that from looking in the sky like that. It's not like you had pulled your, pull out, pulled out your Atlas Borealis and was like, oh, look at that. That's Jupiter right there. It's traveling across the sky. Get with the program, Betty. This is this is why people try to discredit your story because it's a little too it's a, it's a little too detailed. So Betty claims to observe this bright point of sky while Barney navigated down U.S. Route Number Three in the United States. All of the North South uh, interstates are odd numbers, and all of the East West inter- interstates are even numbers. Did mm. you know that? I did know that. There actually. you go. So U.S. Three goes North South. So Betty reasoned that she was observing a falling star, only it moved upward. That's not a good sign. Oh, that's super fun and quirky when stars move up. That's no moon. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's a space station. So it moved erratically and grew bigger and brighter. This is the point in all of these alien reductions that you wish you could nope the fuck out, but you're stuck. What are you going to do? You just got to hope that you're ready. Just get ready. You just got to prepare. People get ready. Jesus is coming soon. I'm just kidding. So 
Betty urged Barney to stop the car for a closer look. What the hell's wrong with you, Betty? You want to know what the problem is right She's here? She's white. That's right. What's the difference here? What's the problem here? What's the problem here? Barney's driving as fast as he can. I'm going to get the fuck out of here. And what does his Caucasian wife say? Let's stop and get a closer look. Oh, my God. I have been preaching this for, like, years now. You people invite this stuff to happen to yourself. Let's stop and get a closer look. Oh, my God. What is wrong with you people? What is wrong with you? God, so much. What is wrong with all of you? And again, every time you bring this up, my first instinct is the exact same thing as what the person does wrong in this story. And why is that? Because you're white. Because I'm very white. It's not that I'm categorically racist. It's because you guys are categorically stupid. That is absolutely fair. Oh my God. I don't think so. (laughs) I am out. Oh my God. (laughs) Okay. So Betty says, let's stop the car for a closer look and let's walk the dog. Delcy, oh, go to their Wikipedia page because they have a photo with the dog and the dog looks adorable. It looks fucking adorable. I love it. I do want to get this I dog love pulled it. up real I quick. love any couple. It doesn't matter how stupid the wife is in this, in this particular point. Any couple that takes a photo with the dog. It's great. It's awesome. I'm taking my sweater off because I've got the drunk heats. I've got the What's, drunk sweats. Oh, God. What's the husband's name again? Barney Hill. So Barney stops at a picnic site. Just south of Twin Mountain, which is a town. The hills claim that they continued driving on the isolated road very slowly through the Franconian Notch in order to observe the object as it came closer. At one point, the object passed above a restaurant and signal tower on top of Mount of Cannon Mountain and came out near the Old Man of the Mountain. Oh, these are places in New Hampshire. Who knows where these places are? <laughs> are they even real? Is I New Hampshire real. even Jesus real? Christ. Who names these things? White people. These these places probably have amazing and completely relevant Native American names, but they changed them to these random-ass white people names. Anyway. Yeah, they did. So Betty says God. that it was at least one and a half times the length of a grand, granite cliff profile, which was 40 feet long. That doesn't help me. doesn't matter. <laughs> it seemed to be rotating. It's a big ball of light in the sky, Betty. This is why people cre- discredit your story, because you get a little too detailed. So the couple watched as the silent, illuminated craft moved erratically and bounced back and forth in the night sky. Approximately one one mile south of Indian Head, they said the object rapidly descended toward their vehicle, causing Barney to stop in the middle of the highway. This is where the shit gets real. Oh, fuck yeah. The huge, silent craft hovered approximately 80 to 100 feet above the hill's 1957 Chevy Bel Air and filled the entire field of view in the windshield. Real as shit, baby. Oh, my God. It reminded Barney of a huge pancake. <laughs> Carrying his pistol in his pocket. <laughs> Fucking Barney was strapped, baby. Oh, my God. <laughs> if you're not strapped, you're going to get clapped. <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. He's a smart guy. He pulls the pistol out of his pocket. He's ready to go pistolero. <laughs> he steps away from the vehicle, and he moves closer to the object. I'm going to kill some motherfucker right here. <laughs> okay, so he's got binoculars too. He claims to have seen about eight to eleven humanoid figures who were peering out of the craft's windows. That's a lot of to look at. That's figures. a lot of people. You're outnumbered, Barney. I don't oh, know what boy. to tell you. You know what you do in this situation? Offer up the white girl. <laughs> Here, take her. Take her and let me go. Leave the dog. Take the wife. <laughs> yeah, that tracks. Alright, let's see here. <laughs> In unison, all but one figure moved to what appeared to be a panel on the rear of the hallway that encircled the front portion of the craft. The one remaining figure continued to look at Barney and communicated communicated a message telling him to stay where you are and keep looking. Again, with the thoughts, projecting the thoughts thoughts into his mind. Okay, so the one remaining figure continued to look at Barney and communicated a message telling him to stay, stay where you are and keep looking. Barney had a recollection of serving the humanoid, humanoid forms wearing glossy black uniforms and black caps. Red yeah. lights on what appeared to be batwing fins began to telescope out of the sides of the craft, and a long structure descended from the bottom of the craft. This oh my fucking very... god, they got Bruce Wayne. That's right. The silent craft approached what Barney estimated to be 50 to 80 feet overhead and 300 feet away from him. On October 21st, 1961, Barney reported to the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomenon, Inves- Investigator Walter Webb, that the beans were not 
were somehow not human. That's what he had recollected. Barney tore the binoculars away from his eyes and ran back to his car. Obviously, in a near hysterical state, he told Betty, they're going to capture us. He saw the object again shift its location to directly above the vehicle. He drives away at high speed, telling Betty to look for the object. She rolled down the window and looked up. Awesome. Almost immediately, the hills the hills heard a rhythmic series of beeping or buzzing sounds, which they seemed said to bounce off the truck of their vehicle. The car vibrated, and a tingling sensation passed through the hills' bodies. Mm. The hills said that they experienced the onset of an altered state of consciousness that left their minds dulled. Typical. Uh, what year was this? Fifty... 51. 51, okay. I was going to say, if it was the 70s, that just sounds like most people in the 70s. (laughs) No. All right. A second series of beeping or buzzing sounds returned the the couple to full consciousness. They found that they had traveled nearly 35 miles south, but had only vague, spotty memories of this section of road. They recalled making a sudden unplanned turn, encountering a roadblock, and observing a fiery orb in the road. Groovy. Arriving home at about dawn, the hills assert that they had some odd sensations and impulses that they could not really explain. Betty insisted their luggage be kept near the back door rather than in the main part of the house. Their watches would never work again. What the fuck? Exactly, what the fuck? Barney said that the leather strap for the binoculars was torn, though he could not recall it tearing. The toes of his best dress shoes were scraped. Barney says he was compelled to examine his genitals in the bathroom, though he found nothing unusual. (laughs) Okay. They took long showers to remove possible contamination, and each drew a picture of what they had observed. (laughs) Don't laugh. Okay. (laughs) What's wrong with you? These people... These people... I've had something unexplained. Let's draw a picture of it. They drew a picture. (laughs) People draw pictures. Did you not listen to last week's episode, The Allagash Abductions? No, he didn't post it yet. No, that goes. That comes out tomorrow. We're going to talk about the Allagash abductions. Go back and listen to it. They also drew pictures after they had had regression <clears throat> hypnotherapy. That was the week before. Perplexed, the Hills say they tried to reconstruct wow. the chronology of events as they witnessed the UFO and drove home. But immediately after they heard the buzzing sounds, their memories became incomplete and fragmented, which we see all the time. After sleeping for a few hours, Betty awoke and placed the shoes and clothing she had worn during their drive in her closet. Observing that the dress was torn at the hem, zipper, and lining. Later, when she retrieved the items from her closet, she noted a pinkish powder on her dress. Mm. Okay. Yeah, what happened there? She hung the dress on her clothesline and the pink powder blew away. Jesus Christ, Betty. God damn it, Betty. God damn it, Betty. But the dress was irreparably damaged. She threw it away, but then changed her mind, retrieving the dress and hanging it in her closet. Over the years, five laboratories have contacted have conducted chemical and forensic analysis of the dress. There were shiny concentric circles on their car's trunk that had not been there the previous day. Benny and Barney experimented with a compass, noting that when they moved it close to the spots, the needle would whirl rapidly. But when they moved it a few inches away from the shiny spots, it would drop down. On September 21st, Betty telephoned Pease Air Force Base to report their UFO encounter, though... For fear of being labeled eccentric, she withheld some of the details. On September 22nd, Major Paul W. Henderson telephoned the Hills for a more detailed interview. Henderson's report dated September 26th determined that the Hills had probably misidentified the planet Jupiter. This was later changed to optical condition, inversion, and insufficient data. Report 100-1-61 Air Intelligence Information Record. Super cool. Super cool. Fun and awesome. His report was forwarded to Project Blue Book. We all know Ooh. about Project Blue Book. Yes, we do. We Go love Google Project it. Blue Book. Go Google it. The U.S. Air Force's UFO Research Project. Super secret. Shh. Double top secret. We don't talk about these things. That's right. Freedom oh, yeah. of information, motherfucker. Fuck you. Within days of the encounter, Betty borrowed a UFO book from a local library. It had been written by Marine by retired Marine Corps Major Donald E. Kehoe and was also the head of the NICAP, a, UF, a civilian UFO research group. On September 26th, Betty wrote to Barney, we're, 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 we're considering hypnosis to help recall what had happened. Her, later, her letter was eventually passed on to Walter N. Webb, a Boston astronomer and NICAP member. NICAP-MOUSE? <laughs> <Nice. laughs> 
Nice. That's right. Webb, the astronomer, met with the Hills on October 21st, 1961, two years after the event. In a six-hour interview, the Hills related all they could remember of the UFO encounter. Barney asserted that he had developed a sort of mental block, that he suspected there were some portions of the event that he did not wish to remember. We all know about these. Mm-hmm. He described in detail all that he could remember about the craft and the appearance of the somewhat not somehow not human figures aboard the craft. Webb stated that they were telling the truth and the incident probably occurred exactly as reported, except for some minor uncertainties and technicalities that must be tolerated in any such observations where human judgment is involved, like exact time and length of visibility, apparent size of objects and occupants, distance and height of objects. We all see these sorts of things. Like when people see a screen memory, there I drove down this road and there was this owl in the middle of the road. Yeah. And they imagine an owl and then when they go back and they tell you, oh, how big was the owl? And they start determining, okay, the owl is about four and a half to five feet tall. There is no owl in existence in the world right now that is four and a half feet to five feet tall. That is obviously a screen memory. That was not an owl. That was a gray alien. That was a fucking and gray it's alien. it's called a screen memory. That's how they get you. That's how they get you. Ten days after the alleged UFO encounter, Betty began having a series of vivid dreams. They continued for five successive nights. Never in her memory had she recalled dreams in such detail and intensity. Same, Betty. Same. But they stopped abruptly after five nights and never returned. They occupied her thoughts during the day. When she finally did mention them to Barney, he was sympathetic but not too concerned and the matter was dropped. This we also see with screen memories. Betty did not mention them to Barney again. This we also see in screen memories. <laughs> One person yes. has the vivid dreams because the screen memories are fading away. The other person has has hypnotic suggestion put in their mind to, to just discount the memories as nothing but dreams. In November of 1961, Betty began writing down the details of her dreams. In one dream, she had... She and Barney encountered a roadblock and men who surrounded their car. She lost consciousness, but she struggled to regain it. She then realized that she was being forced by two small men to walk in a forest in the nighttime and have seen Barney walk behind her, though when she called to him, he seemed to be in a trance or sleepwalking. The men stood about five feet to five feet four inches tall and wore matching blue uniforms with caps similar to those worn by military cadets. They appeared nearly human with black hair, dark eyes, prominent noses, and bluish bluish lips. Their skin was a grayish color. In the dreams, Betty, Barney, and the men walked up a ramp into a disc-shaped craft of metallic appearance. Once inside, Betty and Barney were separated. She protested, and it was told by a man she called the leader that if she and Barney were examined together, it would take much longer to conduct the exams. She and Barney were taken to separate rooms. Ew. Betty dreamt that a new man, similar to the others, entered entered to conduct her exam with the leader. Betty called this new man the examiner and said he was had a pleasant, calm manner. Well, that's good. At least, at least the gray alien that's helping you out has some good bedside manner. Yeah, can't help it. I mean, you know, if he does probe you, at least he gives you a lollipop at the end. <laughs> oh no! Though the leader and the examiner spoke to her in English, the examiner's command of the language seemed imperfect, and she had difficulty understanding him, which we see in other which we see in other abduction stories. The examiner told Betty that he can conduct a few tests to note the differences between humans and the craft's occupancies. occupants. He seated her on a chair, and a bright light was shown on her. The man cut off a lock of Betty's hair. He examined her eyes, ears, mouth, teeth, throat, and hands. He shaved trimmings from her fingernails. He then tested her nervous system and thrust a needle into her navel, I don't which caused like Betty that. agonizing pain, Upon whereupon the leader waved his hand in front of her eyes, and the pain vanished. What are you doing doing that to her? I don't like this. What's the... What? Come on, what man. What you gain from that? Everything was fine until you did that. We well, were okay. Fine. Everything was on the up and up. <laughs> Everything was on the up and up. They always got to get we with the We were okay with this. Listen, as a, hu- as a human race, we were okay with this. Go ahead. But when you do that, you're infringing on her rights. This is some Handmaid's Tale bullshit right here. The examiner left the room and Betty engaged in conversation with the leader. She picked up a book with rows of strange symbols that the leader said she could take home with her. She also asked where he came from. He pulled down an instructional map dotted with stars. Keep Uh, that in mind. It comes into play in the end. Excellent. In Betty's dream account, the men began escorting the hills from the ship when a disagreement broke out. The leader then informed Betty that she couldn't keep the book. 
stating that they had decided that the other men did not want her to even remember the encounter. Aww. Guys, get on the same fucking page before you pull this shit. I mean, if you're going to lloy to fucking Earth. This is the multiple scientist theory all in play. These guys mm-hmm. can't get their fucking shit in order. Betty insisted that no matter what they did to her memory, she would one day recall the events. That's right, Betty. You hold on to this shit. She and Barney were taken to their car where the leader suggested that they wait to watch the craft's departure. They did so, then resumed their drive. On November 25th, 1961, the Hills were again interviewed at length by NICAP members, this time C.D. Jackson E. Hopeman. Although the Hills had noted that they had arrived home later than anticipated, the drive should have taken about four hours. They claimed not to have realized when they arrived home seven hours after the departure from Colebrook. Goodness. Holman, yeah, exactly. Three hours of lost time. When Homan and Jackson noted this discrepancy to the Hills, the couple had no explanation. We call this missing time, and we see it all the time in abduction stories. The Hills were claimed to recall almost nothing of the 35 miles of U.S. Route 3 between Lincoln and Indian Head and Ashland. Both claimed to recall an image of a fiery orb sitting on the ground. Betty and Barney reasoned that it must have been the moon. How is the moon? Come on, guys. It is not the fucking moon. It's not the fucking moon. That's no moon. That's no moon. That's no moon. God, how many Star Wars references can we make in one episode? It's a space station. Oh, my God. You're supposed to say it's too big to be a space station. Homan and Jackson informed them that the moon had set earlier in the evening. That's no moon! (laughs) The subject of hypnosis came up, and it was decided that it should be carried out in order to elicit previously irretrievable memories. We call this regressive hypnosis. Barney was apprehensive about hypnosis, but thought it might help Betty put to rest what Barney described as the nonsense about her dreams. Again, this is also part of it, is the the suggestion not to go into hypnosis. Mm Mm-hmm. So by, by February 1962, the Hills were making frequent weekend drives to the White Mountains, hoping that revisiting the site might spark more memories. So they keep going back. That is some white people shit. That is some white people shit. They were unsuccessful in trying to locate the site where they observed a fiery orb sitting in the road. However, they were able to eliminate several possible routes. They found what they claimed to came what what they claimed to be was a capture site, which they found that spot. On, October, on November 23, 1962, the Hills attended a meeting at the parsonage of their church where, they, where the invited guest speaker was Captain Ben Sweat of the United States Air Force, who had recently published a book of his poetry. After, we had select, after he read selections of his poetry, the pastor asked him to discuss his personal interest in hypnosis. After the meeting broke up, the Hills approached Captain, this guy, and privately told him that I told him what they could remember of their strange encounter. He was particularly interested in the missing time of the Hills account. The Hills asked him if he would hypnotize them in order to recover their memories. But he said that he was not qualified to do so and cautioned them against going to an amateur, amateur hypnotist such as himself. On Smart. March 3rd, the Hills public, first publicly discussed the UFO encounter with a group at their church. Again, they were Unitarian, so that's like halfway to science fiction. What did I just say? They're halfway to science fiction anyway. That's crazy motherfucking quacks. It's not like they were going to the First Baptist Church of blah, 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 white person, New Hampshire. Isn't, um, the, yeah, so, yeah, the church that, uh, me and Cade go to for the pagan events that we like, um, back when they were still doing it, was that a universal, or Unitarian church? I'm aware of that. Yeah. That's why I was ripping on him. I know. Okay. So in 63, September 7th, 1963, this Captain Sweat returned and gave a formal lecture on hypnosis to a meeting at the Unitarian Church. After the lecture, the Hills told him that Barney was going to a psychiatrist on Mr. Stevens, whom he liked and trusted. Captain Sweat suggested that Barney ask Stevens to use hypnosis in the case. When Barney next met with Stevens, he asked about hypnosis. Stevens referred the Hills to Benjamin Simon of Boston. On November, 60, on November 3rd of 1963, the Hill spoke before an amateur UFO study called the Two-State UFO Study Group in Quincy Center, Massachusetts. So they're progressively telling their story a little bit more. The Phil, 1963, early in their discussions, Simon determined that the UFO count, encounter was causing Barney far more worry and anxiety than he was willing to admit. Though Simon dismissed the popular extraterrestrial hypo- hypothesis as impossible, it seemed obvious to him that the Hills genuinely thought they had witnessed a, hu- a UFO with human-like occupants. Simon hoped to uncover more about the experiences through hypnosis. Simon began hypnotizing the Hills on January 4th, 1964. <laughs> he hypnotized Betty and Barney several times. 
and sessions lasted until June 6, 1964. So oh, I almost okay. dropped I'm my sorry. water. Yeah, we were laughing because uh, Jake knocked over his uh, Circle K Polar Pop. I'm having pop. a difficult time right now, and I am coping through alcohol. And that's fine. Like a you grown-ass do man. You do you, Bubba. That's right. Like a grown-ass man. Bubba. He starts hypnotizing them in January of 1964. He hypnotized Benny and Barney several times each, and sessions lasted until June, from January to June. Simon conducted these sessions on Barney and Betty separately so they could not overhear one another's recollections. At the end of each session, session he reinstated amnesia. Simon hypnotized Barney first. Here's what he found out. Barney said that... Due to his fear, he would not remember the hypnosis sessions until he was certain he could remember them without being further traumatized. With his conscious recall, Barney noted, Barney reported that the binocular strap had broken when he ran from the UFO back to his car. He recalled driving the car away from the UFO, but at that afterwards, he fell off the road and drive into the woods. Oh my god, this is fucking scary. Can you imagine this? Like that thought goes into your head, pull off the pull off the road, pull into the woods, and your feeling of dread as they come up to and you're like frozen? Fuck yeah, Fuck man. That noise. He eventually sighted six men standing in the dirt road. The car stalled and three of the men approached the car. They told Barney not to fear them. The last thing you want to hear in this sort of situation is don't Do be afraid. Not. Oh I'm God. afraid. I just pissed myself. I'm so afraid. <laughs> he was still anxious. Yeah, same. However, and he reported that the leader told Barney to close his eyes while hypnotized. Barney said, I felt like the eyes had pushed into my eyes. We hear that a lot. Yeah. Barney described the beans as generally similar to Betty's hypnotic dream recollection. The beans often stared into his eyes, said Barney, with a terrifying, mesmerizing effect. Under hypnosis, Barney said things like, oh, those eyes, they're in my brain. Oof. I was told to close my eyes because I saw two eyes coming close to mine and I felt like the eyes pushed into mine. And all I see are these eyes. I'm not even afraid that they're connected to a body. They're just there. They're just close up to me, pressing against my eyes. That is fucking scary, That's man. That's creepy shit. Barney reported that a conversation that. with the leader that she understood. Betty reported a conversation with the leader that she understood in English. Barney said that he heard them speaking in a mumbling language he did not understand, yet he also understood them in English. Betty also mentioned this detail. The few times they communicated with him, Barney said it seemed to be thought transference. At that time, he was unfamiliar with the word telepathy. Both Betty and Barney stated that they hadn't observed the beans' mouths moving when they communicated in English with them. The ship and taken to his car. In a daze, he watched the ship leave. Barney remembered a light appearing on the road, and he said, oh, no, not again. I remember that part. That's, that's a huge part Ooh. of it, that he sees the light afterwards after they get back and they can remember things. Oh, no, not again. He recalled Betty's speculation that the light might have been the moon, though the moon had set several hours earlier. He also stated that he attempted to produce the code-like buzzing sounds, which seemed to strike the car's trunk a second time by driving from side to side and stopping and starting the vehicle, but his attempt was unsuccessful. He could not recreate the noises that he heard. Under hypnosis, Betty's account was similar to the events of her five dreams about the UFO abduction, but there were also notable differences, mainly pertaining to her capture and release. The technology on the craft was different. The short men had a significantly different physical appearance from that of her dreams. The sequential order of the abduction event was also different from Betty's dream account. Barney and Betty's memories of in hypnotic regression were consistent with, another, with one another, but contradicted some of the information in Betty's dreams. Why? Because she had screen memories. Betty exhibited considerable emotional distress during her capture and examination, which she did not recall in her dreams. Simon ended one session early because tears were flowing down her cheeks and she appeared distressed. Simon Gee, I wonder gave, why. Yeah, I wonder why. I wonder fucking why. Sam, Simon gave Betty the post-hypnotic suggestion that she should sketch a copy of the star map that she later described as a three-dimensional projection similar to a hologram. Eventually, she did what Simon suggested. Although she said the map had many stars, she drew only those that stood out in her memory. Her, mem- her map consisted of 12 prominent stars connected by lines and three lesser ones that formed a distinctive triangle. She said that she was told the stars connected by solid lines formed trade routes, whereas dashed lines were less traveled to stars. This is where we get the That's idea... That's fucking cool. ...that the point, of, the point of origin was Zeta Reticuli. 
Mm-hmm. Even though later on, what we what what I what I researched was that later on we realized that the star chart was inaccurate according to astronomical units, and it wasn't Zeta Reticuli. But who gives a shit? <laughs> this is all speculation anyway. Leave her alone. After the hypnosis sessions, Simon speculated that Barney's recollection of the UFO encounter was possibly a fantasy inspired by Betty's dreams. Simon thought it was the most reasonable and consistent explanation. Barney mm-hmm. rejected this idea, noting that while their memories were consistent in some regard, there were also portions of their of both of their narratives that were unique to each. Barney was now ready to accept that they had been abducted by occupants of a UFO, though he never embraced it as fully as Barney as Betty did. Though the Hills and Simon disagreed about the nature of the case, they all concurred that the hypnosis sessions were effective, and the Hills were no longer tormented by their by anxiety about their experience. At least that's a silver lining. Yeah, I mean, at least they are able to not be in crippling terror. Dylan, if you don't get off your phone and pay attention to this story, I'm paying attention. I've been I was checking our commenting. Check your Instagram. I'll just come across this desk and beat the shit out of you. Fucking do it. Put you in a blue barrel. Afterwards, okay. I wish a motherfucker would. Afterwards, I know. I wish a motherfucker would. Afterwards, Simon wrote an article about the Hills for the Journal of Psychiatric Opinion, explaining his conclusions that the case was a singular psychological aberration. The Hills went back to the regular lives. They were willing to discuss the alleged UFO encounter with friends, family, and the occasional UFO researcher. But the pill, the Hills apparently made no effort to seek publicity. On October twenty fifth. 1965, a front-page story in the Boston Traveler asked UFO chiller, did they seize couple? The reporter of the Traveler allegedly had given an audio tape recording from the lecture the Hills had made in the Quincy Center in, 19, in late 1963. Luttrell learned that the Hills had undergone hypnosis with Simon. He also obtained notes from the confidential interviews the Hills had given to UFO investigators. On October 26th of the same year, United Press International picked up Luttrell's story and the Hills earned international attention. In 1966, writer John G. Fuller secured the, op- the cooperation of the Hills and Simon and wrote the book The Interrupted Journey about the case. The book included a copy of Betty's sketch of the star, match, the star map. The book was a quick success and went through several printings. Later in life, Betty claimed to have seen a UFO a number of times after the initial abduction and she became a celebrity in the UFO com- community. Sadly, Barney died of a cerebral hemorrhage on February 25th, 1969, at the age of 46, and Betty died of cancer in 2004 at the age of 85, never having been remarried. Oh, that's so sad. I know, it's fucking sad. Okay, so that's Betty and Barney Hill. <laughs> definitely worth the awesome. worth the research. You should definitely take a look at it. God, that's really cool. I love when we bring UFO shit. Man, I know. This is so fucking cool. And, it, yeah, I think it's, I just, yeah. It's great. It's awesome. I think it's fucking spectacular it is fucking spectacular i'm gonna drink the rest of this whiskey okay well we're gonna take a short break while jake drinks uh, and then we'll get back here to my topic that's right we are back we've had a little bit of a break we're moving we're grooving we're fucking ready jake are you fucking ready hell yeah brother hell yeah brother hell yeah brother i've switched to water which is probably the best idea i've had all night yeah that's smart let's do it all right so I am going to be talking about the Graduate Hotel, formerly the Biltmore Hotel in Providence, Rhode Island. The Biltmore in Providence, Rhode Island. Are you familiar? No. Didn't figure. Biltmore sounds nice. Uh, I have just... Is it more of a bed and breakfast? Oh my god. Go ahead. Continental breakfast. I bet you could get a pretty fucking good omelet at the Biltmore Hotel. Probably. It's pretty, pretty high end. Uh, Well, I learned about this earlier today, and I instantly knew that I had to abandon the topic that I was doing and research this instead, because this shit fucking slaps. That's right. So, originally built in 1922, that's a long time. time. It's almost 100 years ago, dude. 98 years ago. That's fucking wild. That's right. Uh, But the Biltmore uh, has been a landmark of Providence for coming up on 100 years now. It's been featured in numerous movies, television shows, and has been the influence for many creepy hotel stories, including the Bates Motel and Stephen King's The Shining, in addition to... Uh, the Stanley Hotel. Stanley Hotel. Thank That's you. Right. Yes. Colorado. So this was one of the ones that inspired The Shining, as well as Psycho with the Bates Motel. Very different in location, but go ahead. Keep going. Let's yeah. Go. Um, everything I read said that. Don't blame me. Blame the internet. <laughs> blame the internet for a lot. Exactly. Um, so... 
You may be thinking, why would a neat old hotel be the influence for a bunch of spooky hotels and be in a whole bunch of movies and shit? Well, it's a paranormal podcast, and you can put two and two together, I'm sure even in your drunken state. Even with as drunk as I am right now, I can imagine there's a lot of paranormal activity happening in a 98-year-old hotel. That there is. In 2008, this hotel was given the title of America's Most Haunted Hotel. Everybody wants to be on top of that list. Everybody does. That's right. So, we're going to be breaking down the bizarre history, the tragedies, and the hauntings of this famous hotel. Because, in addition to having some cool spooky ghost shit, the origin story for this hotel is buck wild. And I'm really excited. Awesome. So, in 1918, Johann... Sebastian Bach. Not that one. Uh, Johann... Weisskampf, a public figure known for his openness about his Satanism, decided to fund construction for the Biltmore Hotel. That took a left turn real quick. Oh yeah, it did! Starting off with the vibes. Uh, Hail Satan. So his initial intention was to have the hotel be used as, obviously, a hotel, but mainly a place to educate about and uh, bring light to... Shed light on the Dark uh, Lord. Exactly. His his version of Satanism. It was a place for practice, uh, for education, and basically trying to show how much fun being his type of Satanist would be. Um, no, I just, I have to preface this before we go forward. There are different kinds of Satanism. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them do not include actual sacrifices. Okay? Not all Satanists are what you hear heard about from the Satanic Panic. That's right. The Satanic pan- Panic was largely trumped up. Yes. But these people were kind of into some of that satanic panic type of Satanism. Oh, is that right? Oh, that's right. So they have the chicken coops that were on the roof uh, to allow plenty of chickens for their sacrifices. Uh, They had large open areas for their masses and rituals, and they had a hot springs in the basement for purification rituals. Hold on a second. You're telling me they had chicken coops up on the roof because they were sacrificing these chickens? Yes. These poor chickens. Yeah, they did uh, from a couple different sources. I heard that they did weekly sacrifices. What? Yeah. I mean, at least they're keeping the kitchen stocked. Guess so. Yeah, there were some reports at the time of them doing human sacrifice. There was no actual evidence to support that. It sounds like just hysteria. That's pretty. That's pretty thin. Yeah, but they did definitely have the chicken coops, and they did do the chicken sacrifices. Uh, And like I said, the hot springs for the purification rituals. It's a pretty neat place, but you know what the neatest part about this is? Give it to me. So once open, the hotel was also mostly served by the Bacant girls. They were nude waitresses who served in the large main dining hall, which oh. some speculated was also used as an orgy hall. Nude waitresses aren't isn't my thing. I don't want to see a nude waitress. I just got to wonder where, where her body's been. I want my food to be clean. Yeah, but I mean, this is also the same place where they probably had orgies, so I feel like they're just setting the mood. So in addition to being a well-known Satanist, uh, Weisskamp also had large ties to the mob in the area. My man is building a Satan hotel, and also he's fucking balls deep in the mafia shit, too. I love this fucking dude. This guy is wild. This guy sounds like my hero. Hell yeah. Um, so it is said that mob and Satan exactly man all the bases this fucking perfect storm it's the perfect storm it's a perfect combination absolutely and during uh, prohibition because this was built or opened in 1922 um, so during prohibition the hotel also served as a speakeasy uh, and as well as being frequently utilized by the mob bosses and different members for meetings and organizational whatnots. I don't know how the mob works exactly. Um, you need to read The Godfather. Yeah. Okay, so uh, it was the speakeasy. The neat thing about the speakeasy, though, was that mob members were not the only ones who frequented the hidden bars of the hotel. There was also a steady stream of law enforcement and government officials. And Weisskamp made a rule that law enforcement and government employees drank for free to encourage them to come there and start sharing secrets and talking way too much and having them on his good side. So now my man has Satan as a buddy, the mafia as a buddy, and law enforcement and government officials as a buddy. He's just bringing in the whole thing. He's fucking He's just covering all the bases. Man. Satan and the cops and the mob covering all the bases. This guy. He's pulling the Protestant church and the Catholic church. That's everybody. Wow, he would have gotten them all. 
But obviously, there's a lot of drinking going on because it's prohibition. There's a lot of alcohol flowing. Conversations are happening a lot more frequent or a lot more freely um, than they normally would. And it's no surprise that during the year of 1920 and 1933, crime was running rampant within the walls of the hotel. So here's where it gets a little bit interesting, and you kind of start to see why it's going to be haunted. During the years of 1920 and 1933, many people were implicated in many different crimes. Six police officers killed at least eight people within the walls. This is all happening within the hotel. Uh, a mayor had at least one murder. Attributed a, to him or committed against him? Uh, no, <laughs> that he committed. Unless you're Rasputin. But keep going. Exactly, yeah. Um, uh, let's see. So there's six police officers that killed at least eight people. A mayor had killed at least one person. A governor uh, put six rapes and one murder in his repertoire in the hotel. I'm sorry, what? Mm-hmm. I was okay with everything until you said rape. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and a cardinal drowned an 11-year-old prostitute in a bathtub. Of course he did. Yeah. Fucking let's, Catholic Church. Let's break that sentence down real quick. A cardinal. A cardinal. Drowned an 11-year-old prostitute in a bathtub. This got real dark real quick. We can't even make a joke about that. Nope. There's no jokes. There's just no just joke darkness. Yeah. No jokes. Just dark. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. Uh, so, and that was just the known instances from a few high-ranking men. Who knows how many other murders and heinous acts that they committed. Right. But there was also a large number of random disappearances and a plethora of other murders by people of less societal rank. So can you guess why it's haunted? I can imagine why. Just planting these little, little hints across the way to, to show you why there might be some ghosts in here. I will say, in defense of Weisskampf, most of the disappearances did take place after he transferred the daily ownership to a new manager. He was in control during a lot of the high-ranking murders, um, when you have the government officials and the cops and yada yada yada. Uh, but once it started becoming normal people dying and disappearing, well, that's fine, because that was somebody else. Uh, but this new manager decided to renovate and popularize the hotel for tourists and more quote-unquote respectable people. So he removed the chicken coops. He boarded up the underground altar area, and he reupholstered the stained seats in the dining hall area. Disgusting. <laughs> and he had to make an announcement to the crew. Um, he had to forbid the, any form of blood sacrifice amongst the workers, which is a fucking wild thing to have to specify as a manager. Okay, guys. That's it. I'm putting out a memo. No more blood sacrifices. Can you imagine of any if kind. we had still been working at Harbor Freight and you literally had to come in and be like, listen, guys, I know you've had your fun, but no more blood sacrifices. It's okay if you ride around in the forklift. In the fucking forklift. <laughs> that was okay. fun. Lots of stuff is okay. We can still have fun, but no more blood sacrifices. No more blood sacrifices, guys. Not on company time, please. Yeah. Do that on your own time. We don't care what you do, but no more blood sacrifices. Yes. Moving on to the next point. Don't worry, Jake. Fret not, my friend. Murders and rapes aren't the only tragedies to befall this lavish hotel. We can't forget about the suicides. 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 That's on the list of things we can't make fun of in the podcast. Oh, yeah. Keep going. Sewer slide. Keep going. So October... We can talk about them, but we can't make jokes about yeah. them. Yeah. We decided that early on. We did. Um, so on October 24th, 1929, the stock market took a significant dive. Obviously. Uh, and an unknown businessman followed suit, taking his own dive from the 14th floor, mm -hmm. resulting in his death. Uh, the suicide had created one of the most frequently seen apparitions at the hotel. Uh, people often report seeing a man wandering around the 14th floor in a suit. He looks pretty fancy and rich, because of course he was. Uh, and well, he guess, was before. Black he was Friday. before the stock market crash, gotcha. yes. Um, and guests on all the lower floors have reportedly heard screams and seen the body of a man plummeting to his death outside, only to look out the window or go to the ground floor and see no damage or viscera or gore on the ground below. There's no body at the ground. Nobody. Nobody hits the ground. I get it. Yes. Nobody. Nobody. I'm trying to be engaged here. Thank you. I it's appreciate it. It's the only thing it. keeping me awake. I appreciate it. You're welcome. So, 
Now we've had suicide, murder, corruption, and organized crime. But the hotel actually did surprisingly well despite all that. Of course it did. Uh, and it remained in its original ownership until 1947, where it was bought out by Sheraton, who eventually sold it in 1968, uh, which is when things were really not looking so good for the hotel. That kind of started marking a downward decline. Downward spiral. Yes. It's a great so. album. It is a really Nine good Nine Inch album. Nails. God, I love Nine Inch Nails. I hurt myself. Okay, stop. No, you chose... I knew you had the saddest one on there. That's not the vibes. No more, no more of those vibes. So the hotel closed in 1975. Okay, they boarded it up. It's still there? The hotel closed in 1975 and remained abandoned for four years. Until 1979. Until 1979. And it was faced with demolition. Luckily... Through the efforts of Mayor Buddy Cianci, uh, the hotel gained historical landmark status. There you go. I knew it. Yeah. Uh, And it was renovated and reopened to the public in 1979. And since its reopening has switched owners a few times until 2017, when the current owners gained control. Uh, And along with this change in ownership came the change in name. So from 2017, it is no longer the Biltmore Hotel. Now it's the Graduate Hotel. The Graduate Yes. I'm still drinking over here. I can tell. This is fine. And here's to you, Mrs. Robinson. Jesus loves you more than you will know. Oh, oh, oh. It's from the movie The Graduate. Dustin Hoffman. And Bancroft. She's pretty hot. Got a thing for older women. Keep going. Anywhere. I'm just going to keep drinking my whiskey. Thanks to the efforts of Mayor Cianci, the Biltmore Graduate has been functioning, and because of this, we have gotten to hear even more first-hand accounts of paranormal activity! Absolutely. Are you fucking hyped? I'm so hyped. Alright, so, I looked through a whole bunch of YouTube videos, and went through the comments on them, went through a whole bunch of articles about this thing, trying to find some of the better stories here. I will say that a lot of the stories kind of tend to follow the same mild haunting activities there are a lot of different stories on this it's very frequently haunted but a lot of it is like lights switching you know things moving around the room blah 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 blah. for those of you keeping score at home i have had six crown and cokes excellent unless you count that cup as one and as if you count that cup as one then i've only had two Yep, drunk math still working. Drunk math is still working. God. So, in addition to the mystery man who falls from his death with relative frequency, uh, there are a number of other spirits seen and thir- seen and heard throughout the hotel, including the sounds of loud parties coming from unoccupied rooms as well as the dining hall area. Uh, there's the sounds of heavy stomping in the hallway and in the party areas. There are glasses clinking together like a large toast. And seeing apparitions appear as though they're dancing across the ballroom, only to disappear as they get closer to you. Most of this occurs during, what time? The witching hour, of course. I got a real big problem with witching hour. I'm sure. I'm just saying, 3 a.m.? That's when I get most of my art done. is Is it based on the current time zone? What if... Well... Daylight Savings Time has been around for so long. Benjamin Franklin posited Daylight Savings Time, so I guess they just continue to to follow it. But do the, do the ghosts believe in Daylight Savings Time? What if they don't agree with Daylight Savings Time and they continue to haunt at 2 a.m. instead? That section was mostly about the fun, cool party ghosts. They're relatively harmless other than being loud. The ha-ha funny ghosts. Yeah, the ha-ha funny ghosts. <laughs> As opposed to the scare the shit out of you ghosts. As opposed to the ghosts that we're about to talk about. Let's hear about the, let's hear, let's hear about the scare the shit out of you ghosts. Excellent. So, of course, there's much more than those fun ha-ha party ghosts who haunt these halls. Um, as I mentioned earlier, a whole lot of people got fucking murked here a lot of murder in this hotel it's a lot of murder it's a lot of murder so uh, the majority of the murder victims that we know about and have been speculated to be seen wandering around the halls mostly they stick to the usual ghost things appearing as shadow figures uh, moving your things around in the room feelings of being watched or followed typical yes um locking and unlocking doors at random was something that i've heard a lot actually i don't want to get locked out by a malevolent ghost i know i don't want to get locked in with a ghost <laughs> Um, all of which is creepy enough by itself, but keep in mind, 
one of the ghosts is an 11-year-old girl. Oh. And small children ghosts give me that exact reaction that you just had. Eh. I don't want to feel it. No. No me gusta. God, it's the fucking worst. No okay. me gusta. Children ghosts, by far the worst ghosts. Children ghosts are the worst. If I hear a disembodied laugh from a child, I am never going back to that house. Mm-hmm. Now imagine hearing a disembodied laugh from a child, and then you see the shadow figure of a child who locks your it. door. I don't want to talk about it. Thank you, though. <laughs> I know you don't. That. Oh, man. I fucking love this. Uh, so there are a number of videos online about people's experiences on here. Um, and one video in particular... Of course, I don't know if these things are true or not. You know, you have to leave everything to speculation. Um, but this one seemed relatively convincing. Now, he was in the hotel. He said his bathroom door had been slamming shut. Um, he said every, like, couple minutes. I don't remember the exact interval. That's annoying. Um, yeah, exactly. Shut all the time. What the fuck? Um, so he started recording it, and he set the camera up to see. And you actually do see the bathroom door slam shut. Not just, like, lightly closed, but slam forcefully shut. God damn it. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, again, I don't know if that one is real or not. People can fake those kinds of things relatively easily, but it, there was nobody else. It. What? Like, oh yeah, it's slammed shut, but it's not doing it right now. Yeah. But I mean, you do get to watch it happen. It doesn't look like there's anybody in the bathroom, but of course it could be any number of things, but it was neat anyway. Um, there was another video though, where they did an EVP session in one of the rooms. Got it. Um, they don't capture as much on the EVP as some other locations, but they did capture the phrase, I'm still here. Oh, fuck. No, I'm not into that. God, I love that shit. Go ahead. You go ahead and you go on ahead. Oh, I will. So many first-hand reports have come in about similar things. Um, like I said, it's a lot of doors slamming shut, voices heard near or behind them, uncomfortable feelings in certain rooms, but... One of the worst ones that I heard that I am so excited to share with you, Jake. Go ahead. My final, my final story on this. One of the worst ones that I heard came from a woman who said that she was staying there for a little while. She got everything unpacked. She was settled into her room one night. Uh, she said one night in particular, she got a super uncomfortable feeling like she was being watched or there was somebody else in the room with her. Same. She was... Felt it. <laughs> yes. But she was alone. Uh, she went there by herself, didn't have anybody over. It was pretty late in the night, and while she was getting towards the height of this uncomfortable feeling, she said that she felt somebody forcefully grab her from behind oh, Jesus Christ. while she was alone in her room. Stop it. Stop right now. No. Just shut that shit out. This is like in the Je the Jess Jefferson Hotel where you went where people sleep in the lobby because they're so scared of being in the rooms. <laughs> is that yes. not true? Yes, you're right. Mm -hmm. I would sleep in the lobby too. Yeah. Can you imagine just big chilling in your hotel room? You get kind of some weird vibes and then somebody just grabs the shit out of you from behind. And when you're I was totally kid, alone. When I was a kid in the haunted house where I lived, I would sleep in the hallway because I was so scared of being in the room where I lived. That tracks. You did have a demon man in your door. I did have a demon man in the door and I had a demon man asleep in the master bedroom. It was my dad. <laughs> with, no. with full-blown ptsd so you didn't want to wake him up in the middle of the day in the middle of the night because he would think you were fucking charlie and he'd put you in a chokehold <laughs> oh no that's right man so, so you, you either deal with the ghosts or you deal with yes both PTSD, were equally as, as scary so you slept in the hallway yeah that makes sense scared to be in the room scared to be in the in the room with your dad <laughs> woof makes for a pretty difficult childhood sounds like it would yeah not saying that i have some Emotional scars, but... I think yeah. if anybody's been listening to this for more than two or three episodes, they know plenty about the emotional scars. That's right. Do I need some therapy or not? Probably. Uh, you be the judge of that. The answer is yes. Keep going. Yeah, it doesn't matter. The answer is yes. Yeah, of course it is. But what anyway... Do do? I'm a grown man now. There, are, Like I said, there are a bunch of different uh, stories. What is happening here? Oh my god. There are a bunch of different first-hand accounts of this. Most of them, like I said, tend to be more mild things. Now, this one isn't actually as crazy as other ones when it comes to the hauntings, um, but the hauntings do happen with immense frequency. There's a whole bunch of people talking about their experiences. There just aren't that many standout ghost experiences, aside from a few like particular ones that I talked about. Mm -hmm. But the thing that I was so excited about with this hotel was just like, I've been wanting to bring a good haunted one, 
And then you have the fucking wild origin story of the Satanist with the mafia ties and then the government official ties. You don't get that. Opens a fucking hotel where he can practice his brand of Satanism. That is the haunted trifecta. You do not have that shit every day. No, you don't. That's fucking You might get one. Wild, man. You probably don't get two, but you never get the perfect. Love this guy. I tried looking up more information on this dude, but he seems to only be connected to the hotel. Like, he just showed up one day and was like, hey guys, I'm a Satanist. I'm building a hotel. Come check it I'm out. I'm going to build a hotel and to make sure that it is super fucking haunted by doing everything that I can to make sure that guarantee that it's going to be haunted. Oh, yeah. He really did. Yeah. But the the weird thing about this one was that once, like, when they were there practicing their form of the Satanism... There were no ghost reports. It wasn't until they left and it switched ownership that the ghosts started coming in. That's right. It wasn't old yet. It was, I'm, I mean, it doesn't have to be old to be haunted. There's some sort of statute of limitations. Like they have to wait five years and like, okay, now, <laughs> now that we've achieved historical status, you may begin your haunting. Gentlemen, start your engines. Vroom, vroom. Yes. Awesome. Well, that was the Graduate Hotel, formerly the Biltmore Hotel from Rhode Island. The Biltmore Hotel in Rhode Island. I would like to visit this place. It looks really cool, too. It's a neat-looking hotel. It's got all that historical, snazzy stuff. For those of you keeping score at home, I am way drunk, and I have managed to stay engaged and awake throughout this entire seat, this entire episode. <laughs> Better than some of our other episodes. I don't mean to toot my own horn, but... Do, 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 do. I'm proud That's of an you. accomplishment. It is. Because last episode, you were falling asleep in front of me and had I to go make to tea. always fall asleep. Yes. I'm impressed. That's right. And we're even at a later point in time than we usually are because we, we really were recording are, earlier. That's right. Awesome. That was a great ta- That was a great one. Yes. So was yours. I like that one a lot. Thank you. Betty and Barney Hill is up there. It's one of the most documented and they talked about it a lot. The most amazing part about that is... That, you know, it's 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 typical of those abduction stories where the people didn't really know about alien abduction to begin with, and yet it permeated their lives and they talked about it a lot, but you know, they didn't necessarily seek notoriety. There wasn't a thing that they want to be in. Being an alien abductee is not a not a and we talked about it a lot and we've heard it a lot from other people. It's not a club that anyone wants to be involved in. It doesn't it's not a thing that anybody wants in their lives, and yet it permeates their lives afterwards. No, okay, Kate just pointed at me. I am the first to say that I absolutely want ghost experiences. I want to see shadow figures. I want to be haunted. I don't want to be abducted by a UFO. That shit is, that's trauma. This guy. Do you want to be abducted? Sticking up my butt, aliens. Oh my god. <laughs> you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. I guess that tracks, actually. That's pretty heavy. <laughs> Alrighty. I don't even know where to go from there. All right, Dylan, get off your goddamn phone. I'm about to fall asleep. We're, the episode is almost awesome. over. Listen, it was great. Listen, I want to say hi to Lorinda, Lorinda Coger. Oh, yeah. She has subscribed to be a monthly subscriber contributor to our Anchor.fm podcast. And because of that, she has given us the funds for me to buy a bitch and cable knit sweater i am so excited and every time i wear that motherfucking cable knit sweater i'm gonna tag her in a photo it is going to be the lorinda coger cable knit sweater from here on out i love you girl thank love you, you so much thank you so much i'm Linda. buying it it'll be here like in two days from now i'm so excited it's gonna be so awesome you have made this this old man's dreams you come have true made my dreams come true love you so much all right and i love all the other listeners too Yes, we love you all. Thank you all for your support. Uh, it, again, if you can tell people about us, that helps a lot. If you are in a financial, or if you're in a place where you can financially support us, for, you can do that through Anchor. A coffee uh, a day from Starbucks. Exactly. Um, and you can go to the link in our episode descriptions, and you know you can find everything that you need to support us financially there. If you're not able to do that, we understand. We're poor too, mainly me, but. <laughs> You know, if you can tell people about us, if you can spread the love, you know, let some people know, it helps us a lot. And we really appreciate everything that you guys do, and we appreciate your continued support. We're having so much fun here. We're having a lot of fun. We really are. Even though we get a little bit sad in the intros, (laughs) we still have fun. Listen, don't worry about that. The highs definitely outlast the lows. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, brother. Hell yeah, brother. All right. I think that's about it. We should probably cut it off before I fall asleep. 
Yes, that's a good idea. All right. So from Dylan, the favorite co-host, this is Jake, and we hope we've left you too scared to sleep. I remain unlucky in love. Oh, no. You specifically said you didn't want to talk I'm about this. I'm going to do this. two sentences. The first re- the first sentence is, I remain unlucky in love. And the second sentence, I can't seem to match up the person that I want to be with with the person that wants to be with me. Okay, but that's a mood. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to second that motion. Okay. God, if I could move through a thinny into another multiverse where I wasn't so unlucky, I would absolutely do that. Why don't you move to Washington with us and maybe the washington girls will love you are you moving to washington hopefully washington state at some point yeah hopefully dylan why am i just learning about this i think i've mentioned it before no you've it's never gonna be this. like years away okay I... what are we gonna do about the podcast you're gonna move with us <sighs> also i just want to say real quick because i thought of an episode title and i'm gonna forget it if i don't say it uh five nights at betty's five nights at betty's <laughs> I love it.